Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. I'm your host, Dr. Alan Lomax, and what a pleasure it is to be with you today as we explore with Bethany Babcock how we can break into commercial real estate as an outsider. Bethany has nearly 20 years' experience in investment sales, property management, and leasing with a focus on retail and office properties. She is the founder of Foresight Commercial Real Estate, one of the fastest-growing full-service brokerages in Texas. So, Bethany, take us into the program and share a memorable experience from your formative years. Aaron, thank you. Um, probably one of the more, more formative things that I remember early on in my career was experiencing a lot of frustration, trying to rise the ranks and climb the ladder and getting frustrated by how slow I felt like the process was. And I remember when I was 18, I, I moved to the United States alone and didn't really have any family connections around and was working at a family office. And so I was working at an administrative position. And I had my eyes set on a property management position. I applied for it two times, I believe, and was rejected. And the second time I was completely devastated, even though I thought I was well qualified with no experience and being a mere you know, 18 years old. So I remember calling my mom and just extremely frustrated. And she gave me this great advice. And I followed that throughout my career. She's like, you have to do the job before you have the job. So tell me about the guy that got the job. And I told her and I complained, he's not even interested in it. And she said, what an amazing opportunity. If he doesn't care about his job, you care about his job, do it for him. Do it in addition to your current job and don't tell anybody. And eventually, uh, they'll either one, find out and you'll get promoted or two, you've already built up your entire resume based on the job that you've been doing and you can take it somewhere else. But okay, I don't like that advice. It's not quite what I was expecting to hear, but I followed her advice. And just about less than a year later at the age of 19, I was promoted to be a property manager for that organization. And uh, continued to get promoted several times before even graduating college. I think mom was right. Yeah, definitely she was right. Although that isn't always an easy pill to swallow. No. Uh, particularly when you feel like you're doing somebody else's work and they're getting all of the credit. But it is really great advice. What a wise mother you have. Where did you move to from, move to the States from? I grew up overseas, so I lived in South America, primarily Chile for most of my life, and then moved to the United States when I was 18. Oh, really? Wow. How cool. Why were you in Chile? My parents worked as uh, Christian missionaries down there, so they were working down there in the nonprofit sector, founding churches uh -huh. and schools and that sort of thing. And so I grew up most of my years down there. So you must be bilingual, I would guess. Huh? I am, yes. That is quite handy here in South Texas. I'll bet it is, Yes. Well, great. Well, wonderful to have you with us, Bethany. So you shared, as your memorable experience, actually coming to the United States and breaking into the industry. So tell us a little bit more about those initial experiences, taking us from the moment of your promotion to actually opening up your own brokerage. Yeah, it kind of follows a theme. And when going through and, and building my career, one of the things that was really important and I notices a key component to my being able to move up is to always do something unexpected or out of the ordinary for whoever I'm working for or with, whether that was a client, whether that was an employer, a business partner, a mentor, whoever it was, just to always 
never view the deliverables as view that as the minimum baseline and then look to do the next step for them and anticipate their next needs. And that has been a key component for me for a long time. And now even in starting the business, that's one of our philosophies in how we do work here. And it has been a, a big driver. So after working in property management and leasing for about five years while I was in college, I went over and joined Marcus and Millichap to do investment sales. And during that time, it was a really tough time in the submarket. I mean, it was 2008, the high of the financial crisis. You could find a buyer, you could find a seller, but no one would finance a shopping center, which was the product type that I focused on. And it was extremely heartbreaking and frustrating and a lot of cold calling, a lot of no's and a lot of stress because you finally get to present to a client what their property was worth and they would just be devastated. And it was incredibly difficult. So through those years, I had to kind of find my focus a little bit to be beyond that time period and know, okay, I'm here. What can I get out of this long-term? Because short-term, I'm certainly not making any money. And so building relationships with each of those clients was really key and just doing whatever I could to add value. I had this incredible mentor who later became my business partner. He was always looking at, okay, let's find ways to help them through this crisis and, and look for added ways to add value or insight or something they may not know, just guide them through and give them some reassurance. And so we did that for you know, five or six years together and became a pretty strong team throughout Texas, selling a lot of shopping centers and single tenant properties. But still, it wasn't a very financially exciting time period in my life until the end, until the market started to recover. And so a lot of that looking back felt like wasted years of cold calling and wasted years of not of talking to people and not doing anything in the market and was incredibly frustrating. But what I didn't realize was I was being set up perfectly for success to launch a business because during that time period, we were developing these relationships. They were trusting us. They were realizing that we knew a lot. And I was learning a tremendous amount during that time about risk and pricing risk and analyzing investments. And that intel and that knowledge and those relationships carried through to the next stage of my career. It wasn't a, uh, it wasn't what I expected it to be, but it was far more. So a lot of the clients that I'm working with today on the leasing and management side are the clients that I first cold called almost 10 years ago mm -hmm. and built relationships with them. So we started the company in 2014 and a lot of people kind of wondered, where did they come from? They grew really quickly and came out of nowhere. And they're kind of nobodies, you know. They don't have all the connections that the rest of the industry has. But what they didn't realize is I did. They were just done behind the scenes for years. And so we were able to come out of the gate very, very strong. Well, that is an excellent way to build a wonderful foundation. Uh, so many brokers going into the business in the good years, they don't learn about uh, risk and risk management and they don't know how to service their clients because there's always going to be a downturn. And you went through the hard knocks during those difficult downturn years and you know how to prepare your clients for that. What a gift to all of your clients that surely must be. So you talked about building the reputation, building that ladder to eventually grow your own business. You've alluded to cold calling. You've alluded to the frustrations of going through that period. What are some specifics and basic pointers that you can share with people in terms of those who are also going to be facing those kind of challenges as they start out? 
Yeah, one of the things that I think a lot of people will look at in the industry, it's really easy to compare yourself, especially if you're in the brokerage side and you can look at your lifestyle and think, okay, this is how I'm living. And you can look at your neighbor next door and say, he did less deals than me, but his lifestyle seems so much more exciting than mine. And it's really easy to compare and contrast and think that you're failing. And it's important to step back and look and realize they might have some internal things that may be able to live that way. Uh, trust funds are really, really common in our industry, especially with the people in the brokerage industry. That may be their situation, but not yours. It can bother you or you can just ignore it. And I choose to ignore it and to continue to build relationships with everybody. Never burn a bridge. Just keep moving and don't worry about what other people in the firm are doing in terms of their success. Just keep building relationships and adding value wherever you can. I think that's really important. So when you're talking to clients and they're telling you what they want, asking really good questions and learning to dig in a little bit deeper to understand what are they really looking for? What are they telling me? And digging in deeper. And I think that that makes you a better agent, but it also makes you a better buyer later to be able to better understand what's out in the market and how to navigate the current climate. We'll be right back after a brief announcement. Are you a busy professional, passionate about the work of your calling, yet realize that even though you love what you are doing, you're exchanging your time for money? You know that if you were to lose the ability to exchange time for money, your financial well-being will be in jeopardy. If you can relate, I have great news. Steve Tucker Capital is an investment company designed for professionals to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Remove the anxiety of an uncertain financial future and go to steedtalker.com. Get your free one-page 10-step guide to passive real estate investing. Well, those feelings of disappointment, discouragement, and the tendency for all of us to look at others to see what they're doing and how things are going with them. You went through several years not only having to look at what others were doing, and uh, a lot of people have, like you're talking about, have those trust funds, and they never tell you about that. You don't know that that's what's going on in their lives, but I know oftentimes that is exactly what it is. But you suffered through many years of very little income, and people go into real estate because they see the money and they want the money. How did you make it through all of those years where the money wasn't coming in, and certainly that's why you went into the industry. How did you keep yourself motivated? Yeah, that's a great question because I would say that that's a really important skill set for anyone jumping in without you know a safety net. It was incredibly challenging and humbling because I had a pretty good income throughout college. You know, my first few years not so much, but as I got promoted, and so to step back and suddenly be at the bottom of the ring and get kind of thrown in a cubicle with a bunch of other people and just say, hey, sink or swim, go make it, Kevin, and not make any money for a long time. It was humbling, embarrassing, you know, and uh, having to go through that. I think being able to look long-term helps, right? So there was a point in time where it felt like we were moving backwards financially. I remember when my husband and I got married, there was a point in time where we actually had to sell a lot of things and move into a very tiny little apartment in order to be able to make ends meet and go through the time period. Well, that wouldn't have been possible if we felt like where we were was the destination. We knew that something was beyond that and we had to look long-term in order to make it work. So I would do little side hustles whenever I could. I would try to just find little things I could do to make income any way I could. And we, we lived extremely lean. 
And uh, the stories from that are embarrassing, but true. And I think that I don't regret it at all because living lean and maintaining a lean lifestyle, I think is key to being able to survive future downturns. And it taught us a lot about ourselves and what was important and enabled us to delay gratification for a very long period of time. So for us, that skill set, I think, has carried us through and made it possible to see success where a lot of people would have given up just right beforehand. Yeah, definitely some very good skill sets there. And like your mother's advice, not easy pills to swallow. And, you know, it's not just the fact that you don't know when that income is coming in, but like you alluded to, it was embarrassing. And, you know, we have high expectations for ourselves. And when we feel like we're not meeting those, you know, that humiliation and shame sets in, which are such wasted, wasted emotions and feelings, but we all experience in them and have to learn to, to overcome those. So, excellent. Well, talk to us about the starting days of Foresight. What are the big lessons from that period of time? Yeah, I came at it, I'll be honest, with a little bit of, of a thought of, you know, I know a better way and I can, I can make things change and, and, and do things better than everyone else. I, so, the firm that I was with did just investment sales. And so they didn't do any leasing or management. And so we saw an opportunity because clients were saying, oh my goodness, all the service providers out here are terrible. Have you ever thought of starting one? And the clients were really the ones that asked. And so my mentor and later business partner, do it, do it. You've done this before. You can do it. And I really hesitated, but a lot of circumstances happened in life and it just made a lot of sense at that time. And I remember a key piece of advice he gave me as I was struggling with it because I was like, no, finally I'm making money again in investment sales. I cannot go back to my husband. It's when we're starting all over. <laughs> this is just, <laughs> this is exhausting. And uh, I remember him saying, because I had just had a baby and he's like, you know, everyone just is going to assume you're kind of on maternity leave. No one's watching. No one is expecting much. And, you know, and somehow that took the pressure off. And I got kind of excited by the thought of that. It's like, all right, no one expects anything from me right now. And maybe I could do something big. And so I started talking to clients and I kind of expected we'd announce it to clients and I said, that's really great. And I'd end up with a nice little portfolio right away. And that wasn't the case. Let them all know. And they were all like, that's cute. Great job. And I got one client, one very tiny little shopping center that had a whole lot of problems that had been bounced around to five or six other firms over the years. And that was my very first one. And I started with it and it grew from that. The other thing was I came at it with a very cynical approach of the leasing business because I thought... They're lazy. They don't return phone calls and all these kind of things that you hear about the brokerage industry. And I started to learn a little bit. So my approach was, I'm going to do better than that. And it's going to be great. And yes, we, we do. But I started to understand a little bit why things were the way they were in the market. And I didn't know those looking from the outside. One is, it's really easy to return phone calls when you're signing in front of one building. Try doing it when your name is in front of 70 buildings and you have people that are calling you because a squirrel ran in front of their car. Or it could be Starbucks wanting to lease the in-cap. You don't know your voicemail gets full really, really quick. It's a lot of bad calls. So that was one thing I learned really quickly. There's sometimes a reason why brokers are not as responsive as they should be. The other thing I learned was I had this grandiose idea. I was like, you know, we should all amortize our commissions and get paid as tenants pay the owner. That sounds real noble. And then I was, well, that's impossible when you take two years to lease a space sometimes, or a building is really hard or an owner is really difficult to work with and get a deal done. You finally get a deal done. You got to pay two years worth of bills. <laughs> you need that money up front. 
And I realized that's not a sustainable business model. And there's a reason why everyone does it the way they do. So there was definitely some more humility and learning why things were the way they were in the market. And then being able to find ways to make it work with the ideas that I had, but accommodate the actual realities of the real world as well. So when it came to calls and being able to respond to all of the calls that come in, now as the company grew, now we have a dedicated agent who just does inbound calls and takes them all, filters them, categorizes them, qualifies them before passing them on to the lead agent for that property. That way we can truly see we answer every phone call, but we're not burdening the agents with, you know, the, the ones that don't need to be responded to. Yeah, lacing is is much, much more complicated than what people think. And lacing agents don't have the best of reputations. It is, in many ways, I think, a very thankless job. There's just so much that leasing agents have to offer and provide, and their plates can get full very, very quickly. So how did you solve those problems? Yeah, well, on the one for the calls, we have an inbound agent salaried who handles all the inbound calls. That's been a game changer for us and has super cheap. Because of that, we're able to categorize every single inbound call. And so we have an enormous amount of data as to what areas of town are getting most inquiries, who's the most qualified, what budgets are they looking at? Are, and so we can kind of have that conversation in a more educated manner with the clients. Is here's where everyone that's calling in is their budget. And here's where you are in terms of rates. Here's what we're seeing on the outbound, which is a whole different set. And it's just we're able to have better conversations. So the problem actually presented itself as a solution to even a bigger problem that exists in the market, which was just not being able to see see the whole picture and the things that were happening in the market. So a lot of times that happens, right? You start out to solve one problem, you end up solving another. And that was definitely the case in that situation. And the other thing is, too, is I think getting the assignments, the very first assignment, it wasn't the most glamorous, right? It was a class C property with a lot of challenges and no capital. And the owner was very constrained on what she could offer. What we learned through that process, yes, we can do it, but that's not where we're best fit. That's not what we can do. That's not the highest and best use of our time. And so we learned that we actually do a better job working with specific types of properties. And those ones were new construction. And we found out that, you know, since I like to cold call when we would be outbound, and those are the kind of properties that really need that kind of activity versus some of the older ones. And so being able to know where we were the best use of our time and where our clients would be best served, those level of clients really enjoyed our hunger for knowledge on the submarket and wanted to get into the nitty gritty with us and study. And so we really enjoy working with them and being able to find a group of people that we enjoy working with is key to being able to prolong some challenges and overcome market challenges. Well, Bethany, you have a training program, a commercial real estate training program. Tell us about the program. Yeah, so that program was actually started as the company grew. I was having a hard time addressing all the questions that were coming into my office, right? So it was really hard to maintain the brokerage, the property management. And then at that point, my partner from Marcus and Milichap left the firm and then came and started the investment sales division at our company. So then at that point, we had three very busy, highly productive departments. And I was having a hard time getting all my work done. And so, and agents were constantly coming in wanting me to look at things. And I thought, well, shoot, if this is a problem for me, it's going to be a problem for the next mentor and whoever else is in the picture. How am I going to be able to get all of this stuff done and encourage other people to mentor? They're not going to want to. And so I started documenting everything and putting in, you know, everything from how to fill out an LOI and 
going through a lease form and describing what each of those terms mean and how to explain them to a client, how to overcome objections, preparing for a first meeting, you know, preparing a submarket report to determining how to calculate the IRR and, and run to cash flows. So I started documenting all of this for our own office purposes. And it was really helping and I really enjoyed it and that the agents were enjoying it. And it was encouraging other senior agents to say, okay, I will mentor. If I've got that burden taken off of me of explaining that, I can just spend time with them on the soft skills. So that program was really great, but we were a really small company and it was kind of underutilized. And so in 2020, we noticed on LinkedIn, a lot of students were saying in March that they were losing their internships because of the COVID crisis. And a lot of those students needed that internship to get their last credit hours to graduate. So my heart broke for them. I felt really bad. I thought, well, shoot, I'm going to open up our training program to them. And then I can sign off on their hours for them as an internship. So I posted it on LinkedIn, just real haphazardly. And said, hey, anyone that lost their internship, I'm going to open up our own internal training program. And I can sign off on your hours. And the response was overwhelming. So we actually had to run two back-to-back classes to run all these students through during the whole COVID shutdown period. So there we all are, you know, balancing homeschooling our children and running a company and then this training program. And everyone in the company just kind of rallied and we got this thing going and we realized we loved it. We had so much fun. And the students ended up getting jobs in the industry after that. And they attributed it to this program. And so at that point, we cut the bug and we were like, we got to do this again. So we did it the next year. It was really fun is our competitors became our greatest advocates and supporters and started putting their people through it. And so it really became not a foresight training program, it became a community training program to attract talent to commercial real estate. So we put them through it. And then this year, we reached out to a lot of people that had hired from the program and asked them, hey, will you sponsor it so that we can keep this growing? And we had a record number of applicants. We selected the top 30. And then we're going to do a full-on training program this summer. It'll run 10 weeks. And they get two weekly classes with industry leaders. And these are pretty impressive people that have volunteered their time to teach on subjects such as commercial real estate finance, to development, to land entitlement. And they go through all this. And then they also have that curriculum, the original curriculum the program was founded on, in addition to doing projects and assignments and research topics and networking. And then we pair them up with a mentor based on what their career goals are. And so we're really excited to see how that program has grown and developed. And that's kind of our passion project right now. Yeah, what a program. Well, congratulations on that. Well, Bethany, how can our viewers and listeners get in touch with you? You have a lot to offer. So how can we get in touch with you? Yeah, LinkedIn is probably a great way to connect. So my name is Bethany Babcock. You can find me pretty easy. And that's a great place. You can hear everything that's going on in the company. And then also our website, foresightcre.com. There you can see information on training programs and classes that we're offering. Sometimes they'll be free and covered by sponsors. Sometimes they might not be. It just depends. And we just really enjoy doing that and educating people and trying to attract new talent to the industry. And definitely something we're pretty passionate about. Well, terrific. Well, Bethany, it has been a wonderful pleasure having you with us today. And thank you for sharing your experiences and your insights. And enlightened investors, thank you for being with us and look forward to seeing you in our next episode. Thank you, Bethany. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steed Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. 
As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Speed Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steed Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at steedtalker.com. 